0: When you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I have no life right now. All I've done for the past two weeks is pack copies of Don't Waste Your Pretty. I mentioned on the last episode that in celebration of the announcement of my upcoming film, Don't Waste Your Pretty, which is based on my second book, that I've been selling signed copies of my book for faithful listeners, readers, followers. I've been selling them on my website. You all have bought lots and lots and lots of books. They are personalized and I am personally signing every copy. So it's been taking all of my time to sign and ship these books. I have no life. The only place I've been other than the dining room, packing books, and sitting at my desk recording this podcast. I got my hair done. I decided to lock my hair. I got InstaLocks done to speed up the process of it, but it's not cute right now. When I'm cute, I'll post a picture of it. I did have a small break between shipments, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll go to D.C., I'll walk the mall, I'll get some fresh air, like I'll, I'll move the body. I mentioned something about having a break, And my book agent was like, ah, 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 where's my proposal at? Run me my edits. Because I've been doing all this shipping of books, I had stopped working on the proposal for my third book. I have a new agent that I'm working with, and she's very good and very thorough. So not much downtime for me. Maybe when I get back to L.A., which which I don't know when that's going to be. I think I'm going to go back before the end of the month. I'm not sure. I got an interesting message the other day. I kind of wished I was in L.A., You ever seen those masseuses, the sensual masseuses? Wait, is masseuse plural on its own? You know how like there's one deer, many deer, one fish, many fish? Is it one masseuse, many masseuse? I like masseuses though. I just like the way like it rolls off the tongue. Masseuses. Okay, that's not the point. The point is you've seen the the masseuses, the sensual masseuses, On Instagram, yeah? You've seen the videos. Like, they're always playing 90s R&B jams. And, like, there's a woman who's, like, butt naked. And they're just, like, rubbing her ass. Just not like your traditional massage. It looks very happy ending-ish. You've seen them, yes? And then the guys are always, like, really buff. I follow a couple of them. The one that's, like, really popular always has his shirt off. And he's always doing these videos lately about how single he is. I'm like, sir, you're thirst trapping for the gram. I don't mind it. I just want you to acknowledge what you're doing. One of those types of masseuses hit me up. He's a traveling masseuse. He told me that he was going to be in LA for a a stretch of dates. And he asked if he could give me a two hour massage for free in exchange for reviewing the massage on my Instagram page. And so obviously I'm not in LA. So, you know, I turned him down and I was like, you know, thank you so much for thinking of me. So he was like, oh, no worries. Maybe I'll catch you in the same city another time. So I was like another time. I love the idea of this. I, I look at the videos of those massages and I think they look like so sexy. Like it looks like it feels really good. But can I tell you, I don't have the, I don't, I don't have the, what's the word? I don't have a disposition to do that. I'm so immature. I would laugh the whole time or I would be super tense the whole time of like this stranger man that I'm not intimate with. It's like rubbing me down in such an intimate way. I wouldn't be able to handle it. Like, I love massages. I get them on a regular basis, but I always go to women. I think I've had a massage by a man once in my whole life, and it was so God-awfully uncomfortable for me. I was talking about these, um, these types of massages on one of my social media platforms, and one of my good friends, who's clearly less naive than I am, was like... You know, that's more than a massage, right? Like two hours, that's way more than a massage. Those are full of happy endings. And I was like, no, no, it was just a massage. Like I follow him, like, you know, and she was like, yeah, but did you see his rates? Did you see that he has like an OnlyFans page? And I was like, girl, what? And she was like, yeah. She was like, I've interacted with this particular masseuse. She was like, he sent me some videos. Some videos of what, ma'am? Share with your friend. Share with your friend. Share with your friend. So she did. She sent me four videos of, of, of the masseuse. You know, I don't knock grown folks for their grown behavior. The masseuse, he had a toe in his mouth while he was rubbing some ass and also massaging his nipples. And then he took his pants off and there was like some foot play with his penis and he was rubbing his nipples there was some oral play, very enthusiastic. And then there was, you know, the actual sex with with a condom. It's consensual. But I was like, oh, is this this what's happening on OnlyFans? I I didn't know. And, And then another friend who's also less naive than I am, she was like, girl, she was like, that's not just a massage. She was like, that was solicitation. And I was like, no, no. And she was like, girl, Apparently, she had hit up a gentleman who also works in that field. She sent me over Sir's terms of agreement and his rate sheet. Can I tell you about the terms of agreement? He says that he's going to, quote, ease the tension from your essential muscles that you use daily by listening to your body and caressing every inch that you want me to touch. He says there will be no sexual activity, no intercourse, no oral sex, and no happy endings. That part is in bold. He adds that he will be shirtless and you can request him to wear shorts or be completely nude. You can also order a 30-minute bubble bath. I will bathe you from head to toe, hair wash included, if so desired. He says, I will massage and rub you from head to toe, literally. If there is any part you don't want me to touch, inform me before or during and that will be respected. Otherwise, I guess sir is going to go for the gold. Sir also gives details about the bath. I will run your bath water with Epsom salt and sit with you while you soak. Then I will wash every crevice of your body. I won't be physically in the tub with you unless you get the platinum package. Girl, what kind of package are you speaking about, sir? I'm confused. And then we get to the rates. It's a full body massage for a minimum of two hours. For the quickie... He wears his shorts. It's $500 for two hours. Girl, I get massages at the Four Seasons and the Ritz. They are not this rate. If you would like a bath for 45 minutes, the rate is $600. You can also get the threesome. You and your friend at the same time. $600 for two hours. There's another package. This ain't even a platinum. It's called Naughty Not Nice. He says, I am nude. That is 1,000 American USD dollars denaros. There's another package. It's called boyfriend for a night. In this package, the gentleman also states, I am nude. This package, 1,250 American USD dollars denaros for three hours. With a bath for 1500 He's a good-looking man. Very good-looking man. Very, very easy on the eye. He's like one of them snack ministry gentlemen. But he ain't no snack. He's like Sunday brunch buffet. He's a wide man, a brown man, a bearded man. Big hands. I didn't see the video of him, but the gentleman that I did see the video of. Big hands and big feet. Big in other places as well. Even still, I had no idea that Dick was this expensive. And I'm assuming there's Dick, even though he's saying that Dick is not an option, that he, there's no happy endings, that there's no intercourse, there's no oral sex. $1,250 for three hours of a massage? There better be something at the end of that rainbow. So, like I said, I had no idea Dick was that expensive. I thought Dick was cheap on the open market. Apparently not. But maybe it's not Dick, maybe it's Decay. I had an ex. <laughs> So this is my ex-boyfriend from high school that I'm still friends with. <laughs> he's a very, very attractive man. Like, face of the gods. Chiseled. Could have been a male model. Just chose not to go that route. Beautiful skin. I'm sorry, I'm getting distracted. First love of my life. Probably been chasing the high of him for the last 25 years. Whole nother story. It's a whole chapter about him in the upcoming book. The proposal of which my agent is browbeating me to turn in. You'll hear about it someday. That's not the point. The point is... He was like, women are always soliciting him for sex. And he was like, you know, I was a hoe at one point, but I'm not a hoe no more. I'm somebody's father. I'm an upstanding gentleman. I'm not for the streets. He's trying to be in the domicile, the residence, the house, the home, the casa. He's not trying to be in the street. Unlike some married men, we're about to talk about one of them in a second. We're going to talk about this first though. But he was like, these women, they keep, they keep throwing themselves at me. And he was like, my dick ain't cheap. It's decay. Sir, is clearly out of his goddamn mind. For all his talk about it ain't cheap, he certainly did try to offer me some when we hung out. I did not oblige. Still reeling from the divorce at the time. I'm no longer reeling, FYI. But yeah, I had no idea that men were selling dick at this price. I was like, these are rates for a vagina. That said, I am working on a story about women who have used the services of sensual masseuses especially if you've had a happy ending of some sort or more. I would love to hear your story. Completely anonymous, no names, no identifying details. I just want to know what your experience was. No judgment. So if you are willing to share, go ahead and slide into my DMs on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter at Demetria L. Lucas. So if you're willing to share, please do. I want to hear your story. Before we talk about husbands that are in the streets, by which I mean you, Offset, I want to talk about Idris Elba. Congratulations are not in order for the Elbas. You may have heard rumors that Sabrina and Idris welcomed a baby boy recently. There was a website, the Black Magic Network, that was heavily promoting a story that Idris Elba had confirmed that he had two sons. This was at the Toronto Film Festival. Idris hopped on Instagram and was like, "You know, Sabrina and I are very thankful for congratulations and well wishes, but we have not welcomed a new baby. I'm sure they're having a lot of practice. They're really, really into each other. And I but they have not had a baby. And I will tell you, I'm actually kind of glad to hear this story because if they just had a baby, that would mean like a few months ago when COVID started and Sabrina found out that Idris had COVID and she rushed to be at his side and she got COVID. That would have been very scary for the baby. I'm glad that they're both in good health, but there is no baby. That's the point that I'm trying to make. So stop wishing them congratulations. Wishing somebody congratulations and there's not a baby. You don't know what that story is. It could be very triggering. It also could be nothing and they might not care at all. They might just think this whole thing is hilarious. But still, stay out of the uterus of women. It's very tacky. Offset and Cardi B have a baby. And unfortunately, Cardi has filed for divorce from Offset. Offset has publicly cheated on Cardi twice. I don't remember the details of the first time. I remember Cardi addressing it though. And she was like, well, men cheat. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, leave him and go start over with somebody else who's going to cheat on me? And I was like, yikes. And then Offset cheated again. There was a video circulating of him cheating. And Cardi put up a video and was like, you know, me and him ain't been getting along. And then Offset went on a whole campaign and he publicly apologized for being trifling. I think there was a, it was his birthday, a holiday, something. And he was like, all I want is to have my wife and family back. He crashed Cardi's concert. Talking about bro, take me back. Tons of men were like, please don't break up your family. Please give Offset another chance. Please Cardi, please. She gave him another chance and... When I saw the divorce announcement, I want to say it was on People magazine. They sent out a breaking news alert saying that Cardi had filed for divorce. And they noted that it was amid fresh accusations of offset cheating once again, allegedly unconfirmed offset may or may not have gotten someone pregnant. I have not seen that story on a reputable news site. I've just seen a lot of people talking about it, but I do not know if that is true. I do hope it is not. The idea of your husband cheating on you and creating a child with somebody else is devastating. It's a no-win situation for a woman when a man cheats, because if you stay and you try to be loyal and hold your family together, people call you stupid you say you have no self-esteem. They say you're desperate. And if you leave, they say you have no loyalty. They say you were just using him for his money, his fame. You're a terrible woman. You deserve whatever he did because of whatever perceived shortcomings people want to throw at you. For Cardi, the stuff they've been saying about her is ridiculous. Well, she should have cooked and cleaned. And then maybe her marriage wouldn't be ending. Really? Is, is that the secret to keeping a marriage together, cooking and cleaning? Because your grandma might say otherwise. A lot of people's grandmas cooked and cleaned, and a lot of your grandfathers were still hoes. Cooking and cleaning doesn't keep a man from cheating. Well, yeah, she's out here talking about her WAP. Well, she must not have WAP like she says she does. Having WAP won't keep a man from cheating either. The only thing that can keep a man from cheating is the man. That's it. He's responsible for his actions. He determines his actions. You can swing from a chandelier. You can cook Thanksgiving meals every day. You can spick and span a house like June Cleaver. If he feels like cheating, he will. That's just what it is. That's not on his spouse. There's nothing you can do to keep a man faithful. There's nothing you can do to keep a man. Either they want to be there and they want to be faithful or they don't. That's it. But I just feel bad for her. Like I know what it is to to try to do everything in your power to keep a relationship together, a marriage together, probably against your best judgment. Knowing that people are side-eyeing you and thinking, Sis, the fuck are you doing? But you're trying because you want to be married. You want to be with the person that you love. And you want to have hope and faith. And you don't want to be pessimistic. And you want to think, if I just give you another chance, you'll get it right. You'll understand the terrible thing that you did. And you won't ever do that to me again. And then they do it again. So some women will stay and, and take the infidelity. You know, it's not their deal breaker. For other women, it is. You're going to be judged either way, whether you stay, whether you go. So if I have any advice for women who are in that situation, do what brings you peace. And if your peace of mind is, well, I'm going to stay in this marriage, and I'm going to keep this husband, and we're going to have this intact family, and that's enough for me despite everything else that's going on. Like, if if cheating really ain't a deal breaker for you, then it doesn't have to be. But if it is, make the decision that brings you peace. I don't tell people to leave their husbands unless they're getting their ass beat. That's the only time I ever speak up about that. But... Do the best that you can. That's all any of us are trying to do in this life. We're going to make a bunch of mistakes. We're going to fuck up a bunch of times, despite our best efforts. But try very, very hard to keep your peace and to keep your sanity. Once you lose either one, they're very, very hard to get back. My best wishes are with Cardi B, which is undoubtedly a very difficult time. Offset is contesting the divorce, which... I had a contested divorce. I filed. He contested. This shit dragged out for a year and a half. You know.
0: When you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: Mm. Can we talk about John Boyega? I have never seen a movie with John Boyega in it. I just know that he's the black guy from Star Wars. And even better than that, what I know him as, as a black British actor who was very outspoken during the Black Lives Matter protests in London. There was a rally in June for Black Lives Matter, and there was a viral video of of John on a bullhorn talking about black lives. And he said, black lives have always mattered. We have always been important. We always we have always meant something. We have always succeeded regardless. And now is the time. I ain't waiting. It's a very emotional speech. In that same speech, he said, quote, look, I don't know if I'm going to have a career after this, but fuck that. George Lucas from Star Wars released a statement shortly after that, agreeing with with John. He said, now is the time. Black lives have always mattered. Black lives have always been important. And just for the record, George Lucas has a black wife, Melanie Dobson. He continues, black lives have always meant something. The evil that is racism must stop. We will commit to being part of the change that is long overdue in the world. John Boyega, you are our hero. There's an interesting backstory to that viral video. John and his sister went to the rally. And again, it's like the middle of COVID. So they had their faces covered. John had no intention of, of being seen, of being noticed, of getting on a microphone. He's a Black Brit. Black lives matter to him. So he was out there protesting as a citizen, not like the star of Star Wars, John Boyega. He ended up hanging out with the organizers. He'd reached out to them on Instagram They were waiting for somebody else to come speak. And so they were like, hey, you know, like, do you want to say a few words? And handed him the bullhorn. As it would happen, John Boyega has a bit of experience speaking off the cuff. His father is a minister. So apparently he channeled dad and like went for the gold. In that same speech, he said, I need you to understand how painful it is to be reminded every day that your race means nothing. We are a physical representation of our support for George Floyd. We are a physical representation of our support for Sandra Bland, for Stephen Lawrence, for Mark Duggan. I don't know Stephen Lawrence or Mark Duggan. I don't know those cases. Are those British people? Or are those Americans? And those are just names that I'm not familiar. Charge it to my head, not my heart. There, there are so many names. But this latest controversy with John Boyega—he has stepped down as the global ambassador for Joe Malone. And Joe Malone is perfume soap brand. It used to be like Oprah's favorite soap. When I was living in London, my parents came to visit. My mom made this really big deal about going to the Joe Malone store because it was Oprah's favorite soap. It is really good soap. All like my fancy bougie friends have Joe Malone soap in their bathrooms. I got some like organic eucalyptus mint. You know, I got hippie tendencies sometimes. Anyway, for Joe Malone, John Boyega makes this like personal video. He's riding a horse. He's hanging out with his family. He comes up with this whole concept. He sends it over to Joe Malone. Joe Malone is like, oh, we love it. We're going to send it out to the world. Except to the Chinese. So for the for the Chinese ad, Joe Malone uses this Chinese actor. And they have him recreate the exact scenes that John Boyega had come up with to showcase his interest and his family in London. Now, the backstory here, this came up a couple of weeks ago when Tenet was debuting over Labor Day weekend. So Tenet debuted. It's the first big blockbuster film since COVID began. So a lot of theaters aren't open, but the studio dropped the film anyway worldwide because America is not the only prime market. When Hollywood makes films now, they're not just thinking about the American market. They're going after the Chinese market. Here's a fun fact about the Chinese market. They're very color struck. They don't like to see dark people on their screens. So because the Chinese market doesn't like dark people, basically dark skinned black people, Hollywood has been putting more light-skinned black people in films so that when they go to the international markets, specifically to this gigantic Chinese market, the Chinese will receive the film better when there are no dark-skinned people in it. So Hollywood is letting the, the racism, essentially, of the Chinese market dictate how it casts films on top of America's own racist shit, right? Now they've got the Chinese racist shit that they're taking into consideration. And this story was either in Hollywood Reporter or Variety. So when Joe Malone decides they're going to do this marketing to their Chinese market, undoubtedly they're taking into consideration how the Chinese audience will feel about Black people, specifically dark-skinned Black people. Now, John Boyega is a good, healthy brown color. He's very, like, Crayola brown. And so they replaced him. And not just replaced him, again... Took the whole concept that John Boyega came up with and then gave it to somebody else. Came up with the idea to replace him, hired somebody else, filmed the ad, sold the ad, put the ad on the air. And then John Boyega heard about it and was like, WTF. And then they were like, oh, sorry, our bad. Let me pull up what they're exactly they said. We deeply apologize for what, on our end, was a mistake in the local execution of the John Boyega campaign. In a statement to Hollywood Reporter, they said, John is a tremendous artist with great personal vision and direction. The concept for the film was based on John's personal experiences and should not have been replicated. While we immediately took action and removed the local version of the campaign, we recognized that this was painful and that offense was caused. We respect John and support our partners and fans globally. We are taking this misstep very seriously and we are working together as a brand to do better moving forward. I think it should be noted, this is not Boyega's first time having a fallout with the Chinese market. Back in 2016, there was a a reversion poster for the Star Wars film that he starred in. Um, He was the lead character, but his image was shrunken in size for the Chinese posters. That's fucked up. So here again, he's having an issue with the Chinese market. He's the global ambassador for the brand, and the brand just replaces him. John Boyega in his ad, he's on a white horse in a white shirt and black pants. In the Chinese ad, they have a Chinese actor on a white horse in a white shirt and dark pants. He just jacked his shit. So John Boyega. He announced on Twitter, quote, I have decided to step down as Joe Malone's global ambassador. When I joined the brand as their first male global ambassador last year, I created the short film we used to launch the campaign. It won the Fragrance Foundation Virtual Awards 2020 for Best Media Campaign. Then they jacked his shit. Just replaced him. That's so messed up. And gave him no heads up. Nobody even called him to be like, hey, so we got a situation with the Chinese market and this is what we're thinking and would you be okay? No, they just did some dirty shit and apologized afterward. I'm guessing they didn't think he was going to step down. But he did. Good for him. He added, dismissively trading out one's culture this way is not something I can condone. He said what they did was wrong to use another actor, quote, without my consent or prior notice. I appreciate a man who stands for something. Terry Coonan asked Cruz, he would have been like, oh, well, they didn't mean anything by it. He would just took the check and ran. Checks are good. Don't get me wrong. I like a check. I also like to have my dignity. I like to be able to look in the mirror and not not feel ashamed of the person that I am. John Boyega is not having that problem. He stands for something. I don't know his work as an actor. I hope he's a good actor. But I've read much about his character. As a man, stand-up dude. I'm sure there are many more campaigns in his future. He'll be all right. What else is going on in the world? Oh, the original Aunt Viv and Will have apparently reconciled. It's the 30th anniversary of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And Will is reuniting the cast for an hbo max special and on his instagram page he posted a picture of him and the original aunt viv seated together having what looked like cordial conversation which i was like god is working on me because i could not sit down with somebody who dragged me for the better part of 20 years She done called Will everything but a child of God. She done talked about the man's wife. She done talked about the man's kids. Didn't talked about him like a goddamn dog for over 20 years. And now Will is sitting down with her, which, you know, I believe in forgiveness. I do. I can forgive. I can't sit down and talk to you after you've acted a plum fool on my ass. I can't sit in the same room with you and Kiki. I might be able to give you a gracious, like, hey, how you doing when I see you? I don't have to be snake. But I can't sit down and kiki with you after you dragged my ass and talked about my spouse dirty in public. I can't do that. And I'm like, look, even if everything she said about Will Smith is true, nothing she's ever said about Will Smith warrants her dragging him for 25 years. A clap back or two in year one or two, have at it. But she's like, he's the reason I got fired from the show. Say he was. That does not warrant a dragging for 25 years. But they sat down. It looked like they were having a kiki. One of my readers was like, look, once you've sat publicly and listened to your wife talk about her entanglements on camera, what's a sit down with somebody who's been dragging you for 25 years? Like, really, what is it? At that point, what's there to lose? Like, you've already, you've already zinned up. You might as well just go full zen out. I guess. I also probably couldn't sit at the table and listen to my spouse talk about entanglements with somebody like half their age. I don't know if Will's a better person than I am or he's just a different person than I am. But like, I actually think he's probably like on a different plane than me. And and I respect the plane that he's on. And I think it's probably something that I should aspire to, to to be able to like let ish go that far. Because my version of let ish go, like I'm a cancer. I can let ish go. I can but my version of let ish go is you're dead to me. Like, I'm not angry. I'm not hostile. I don't think about you. I don't have triggers about you. I don't get fired up about things. I can see you and I can speak. But when I say, hey, how you doing? I'm giving you the same, hey, how you doing? That I give, like, I don't know, the person at the front desk when I walk into a building. I speak because I just, I have manners. Hey, how you doing? That's all I got for you, though. That's who you are. You're a stranger to me. Hey, how you doing? It's not like I don't even have memories. It's like, really, whatever transpired between us doesn't exist. Mm-mm. I feel nothing. Will and Omarion, they have something that I don't even understand. The mother of your child and your former groupmate can get together and antagonize you publicly on on television platforms and social media platforms. And somebody can ask you about it in your interview. And you could genuinely, with a half smile on your face, be like, I don't feel no ways about it. I can't I can't give you that. I give you to Mariah. I don't know him. That's all I got. So I'm going to be tuned into this HBO special. I would love... To hear what Will and Aunt Viv have to say to one another after all this time. She was hurt. She was hurt. And I acknowledge her hurt. I just feel bad for her that it took 25 years for her to let it go. But hopefully this is a step in the right direction of her moving on. And we don't have to listen to her going off about Will Smith and his whole damn family for another 25 years. I hope that's the end of the beef. I was going to say speaking of beef, but there really was no beef. That Versus with Patti LaBelle and Gladys Knight, wonderful music. Leading up to the Versus, I was listening to, oh, we talked about this last episode. I was listening to Patti LaBelle and Gladys Knight nonstop. I had a whole Patti day, and then the next day I had a Gladys day. I thought I was a bigger Patti LaBelle fan than I was a Gladys Knight fan, and I love Gladys Knight very much, but I like Patti LaBelle and all her extra and all her theatrics. I just knew that that's what she was going to be bringing to Versus. But that's not really what she brought. Patty had good energy. But Gladys sang like every song. Gladys was like, I'm not just going to sit here and listen to my songs. I'm going to sing you my songs. But she sang her songs and she sounded beautiful. And her pink rhinestone pantsuit, she looked amazing. I want to say they said they were like 76, 77, 78. Somewhere in that range. Patty looked amazing too. She came very extra. She had her Louis Vuitton suitcases. And her shoes piled on top of them. She said she hadn't performed since COVID. She said she wanted to feel like she was performing on stage. And I was like, I love you and your extraness. But she didn't really sing. And I couldn't figure out why. I didn't know if it was like the DJ interfering. Because she would sing sometimes. But then it just, it didn't seem like she was matching the track. And then another time she was asking for the teleprompter. And I was like, oh, ma'am doesn't remember the words to her songs. In her defense she got a lot of songs, but I was like, really? Gladys seemed like she spent the last week preparing for this versus. Like she ain't been on the road for a minute. And even though she's been on the road for sixty years, like she got herself together and made sure she showed up for A game. I don't I don't know what was up with Patty. I'm not speaking ill of Miss Patty. I just I don't want no I I don't want no smoke. I'm just saying. I didn't think that Patty came with her A game. I'm gonna say only because it's versus and it's it's a competition. If you have to choose a winner for the night, I did feel that Miss Gladys was the winner for the evening. I felt that that was an upset. I feel like a lot of people really thought, well, Patty and these theatrics and, and the voice and all the extra, it's hands down Patty. But I felt like it was the end of the night, it was hands down Gladys. If for no other reason than Gladys sang all her songs, it's not like Patty doesn't have an arsenal of music, she just wasn't really singing. And then when she did sing, like it was weird with the DJ, the mic, the sound. It was something going on. But I thought it was an excellent versus. I was happy to watch it. I don't know what the numbers were. I don't know if it was bigger than like the Monica Brandy one, which I think was the biggest versus. But I know my parents watched. I think they liked it. They didn't really comment on it. So they didn't drag it. So, you know, that's a good sign. It was a good time. The music was amazing. The energy was amazing. Dion Warwick coming out. Singing, that's what friends are for. They sang Superwoman too. I prefer the Karen White version. Just that's a personal thing. It wasn't bad. I just prefer Karen White. Just, I'm not your superwoman. I was like eight years old singing about, I'm not the kind of girl that you can let down and think that everything is okay. Because I used to sing that with passion. Well, it's probably good for for young girls to be indoctrinated with those sort of themes. So you have some self-respect, some decency. I'm not the kind of girl that you can let down and think that everything is okay. Don't waste your pretty, goddammit. What else is on our list? We need to talk about the Gillums. Andrew Gillum and his wife, RJ. Tamron Hall, her, the second season of her talk show debuted on Monday, and it featured the Gillums. We've talked about Andrew Gillum many times. For a quick recap. Former mayor of Tallahassee, and he ran for governor of Florida, he lost by a very narrow margin. His version, it sent him into a tailspin where he began abusing alcohol. Earlier this year, I guess sometime in March, right after things had shut down for COVID, he was involved in a scandal. Police were called to a Miami hotel room with a complaint of someone who had overdosed. That man was a a male escort on the bed and in the bathroom. There was a naked Andrew Gillum laying in his own vomit on the floor. There were many other things going on in that hotel room. Lots of drugs. There was some meth found. There were some, um, some sheets that were stained with what looked like bodily fluids in, in the pictures. There was uh, a syringe of, of an injectable that's commonly used to, to keep an erection. There's a lot going on in that room, but Andrew and his wife went on Tamron and they wanted to talk about what happened on that, that fateful evening. Now, I didn't think that they should have done the show. I've, I've talked about Andrew repeatedly. I think when the incident happened, I said, this is messy. um, This is terrible, but it's happening in the middle of COVID. So it's not getting the attention that it would have in a, in a typical news cycle. So maybe if he goes to rehab and minds his business and gives it a year, maybe he can come back and, you know, have a conversation. Let's hear nothing from him and let's wait a year and hear something from him after he gets himself together. But maybe at the four or five month mark, he released a video. He made it clear that he was sober, that he'd been to rehab, that his wife had not left him. And I said, then I was like, sir, it has not been a year. I do not have any interest in hearing from you. I would like you to please go away. And the year for me was not just an arbitrary time period. He hit his rock bottom. And I said at the time that whatever series of events happen in your life that led you to your rock bottom, you do not untie all those knots and make all the discoveries and do the full healing that you need to in four months to come back into public life. It takes longer than that. I've hit rock bottom, and my rock bottom wasn't nearly as bad as Andrew Gillum's. And I think I said this then too, and it's worth repeating recovery, even when you're being intentional and healthy about it, is not just like some straight up arrow where you just put one foot in front of the other. And as long as you do that, you just go completely in a straight direction. You're talking about emotional issues, you're talking about mental issues, you're talking about psychological issues. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to take some steps forward and some issues are going to occur. You're going to be on shaky ground because trying out this new way of dealing in the world and this new perspective in the world and navigating the world without your typical crutches is scary. When hard things happen to you, you're going to initially want to go back to your crutch. You're going to have to train yourself to rely on these new ways of thinking and doing that you've learned through your therapy or whatever healthy processes that you've been on. Like it's one thing to learn like, okay, this is what I should do theory is one thing. The application is another. So when you go out into the world and you encounter things that are adverse, you really have to put those theories to the test. You really have to put them to application. And it's not easy. It's just not. For whatever reason, Andrew Gillum decided to fast track the process into getting back into public life. He did a social media video a couple months ago. And then on Monday, he and his wife appeared on Tamron Hall. And that episode... They were promoting it like it was like a heavyweight fight on pay per view in the '90s. Like Tamron was doing interviews about the upcoming interview. Like it was heavily, heavily, heavily promoted. And I have a guest for this episode that's going to talk a little bit about that interview. She's a, a she's a crisis communications professional. I had my own thoughts about the interview. I'm speaking as someone who's had a publicist who's dealt with some social media dragging. When I announced that I'd left my husband, it made international news. and made page six. It was bad, but none of that compares to what happened to Andrew Gillum. People get separated every day. People get divorced every day. Elected officials are are not always found passed out naked in their own vomit on hotel room floors in Miami every day. Pictures like that do not circulate every day. So he has dealt with a whole lot more and is, is trying to make a comeback a whole lot faster. I wanted to talk to um, a professional about her thoughts on that. But before we speak to her, I do have thoughts on that interview. Mostly, I, I couldn't figure out why he was up there. If you watch the interview, there were so many holes in that story. Just some like basic things that just didn't make sense. He says that the guy who OD'd, whose room he was in, he called him a friend and then Tamron corrected and said he was an associate he said the guy was someone he'd met a couple months prior. He was a fan. They exchanged numbers. Andrew had been out drinking, waiting for, I guess, his family and friends to get in town because everybody was coming in town for, I think, a wedding. They were all staying at a house, but he got there early. So he hit this guy up, and then he went to a hotel bar to meet him. And I was like, who is this man again? Like, you calling him a friend or associate, but like, this is this is your boo? This is your side dick? I'm I'm not clear. I don't understand. Okay, so he goes and meets this guy at the hotel bar, and then Andrew implies that the guy spiked his drink. He says the guy gave him a drink that was already prepared, and then he doesn't remember anything about the rest of the night. And I was like, oh, okay, so you're not even going to try to explain how you ended up naked on a hotel room floor. You're just going to go with the I don't recall. That's convenient. So he has plausible deniability about sex. But then he also just jumps out there. Tamron's like, well, I'm not going to ask you if you're gay because that's not the point of this story. That's not like what I'm trying to bring up. And then Andrew gives this explanation and he jumps out and says, I don't identify as gay, but I'm bisexual. And then I'm just like, but why are we discussing your sexuality if you're saying that you didn't have sex with the male prostitute that you were in the room naked with? Like, the, I didn't have sex with a male prostitute who I was found naked in the room with. I was like, I feel like you're insulting the good common sense of the people you're speaking to, sir. And then, like, now you're telling us that you're bisexual, which, you know, okay, your wife's fine with it. She says that you told her long before the, the wedding happened. That's between y'all. But I'm just like, the story doesn't make sense. Andrew's wife is on. RJ is on. And she's like, yeah, like I was so worried about him. Like I called his phone 50 times. I thought he was like, you know, dead in a ditch somewhere because this is not his behavior. This is not what he does. But, and then Andrew says the police drove him back to the house that he was staying in. He said his wife was upstairs in the bed, dead to the world, sleep. He couldn't even wake her up. He was like, all right, well, she's knocked out. So I'll tell her in the morning. So you called your husband 50 times. You think he's dead in a ditch somewhere. And then you just go upstairs and go to sleep, huh? Without giving too much information away. Cause you know, I, I really try hard not to like drag my ex plenty of times. He didn't come home. The first time that I woke up at like 7am and he wasn't there, I was like, oh my God, something must have happened. Like he must be dying in a ditch somewhere. So I'm calling around to people's phones at seven in the morning, like, hey, do you know where Redacted is? Because I, I'm worried, I'm scared. And then, you know, his cousin tracked him down and he called me and was like, oh, yeah, well, this is the story. And I wanted to believe it, to believe what I knew it was caused too many problems. So the fourth time that shit happened, I went to bed. I woke up at like, I don't know, 930, 10 o'clock. He still wasn't home. I didn't call nobody. I didn't think about it. Somewhere around 12 o'clock, I called my mom and was like, yeah, he ain't come home again. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, it's noon. Like, you know, am I supposed to call around me? It's not like it's the first time. And so she was like, call his father. He'll find him. And I was like, yo, his father doesn't even live in New York. Like, you want me to call his father and tell him? And she was like, yeah, call his father and tell him his son didn't come home. The father will find the son. So that's what I did. I texted his father and was like, hey, you know, your son didn't come home last night. I don't know if something happened to him. Have you heard from him? 15 minutes later, his son called my phone and was like, hey, so this is what happened. All right, sure, whatever. I slept my good eight hours that night, REM sleeping the whole nine yards. I put my face mask on and everything to make sure I slept uninterrupted. I wasn't going to wake up with the sun. I slept peacefully. That was like the fourth, fifth time that happened. Eight hours of sleep with the blackout mask. So you telling me he doesn't usually do this, but I went upstairs and went to bed. Story doesn't make sense. I was also confused about why Miss Gillan. I'll tell you a story about that in two seconds, too. I was also confused on, like, why she participated in this. I mean, we've seen this 50 million times before. Like, like, these elected official husbands go do crazy shit. And then they do these TV interviews talking about the crazy shit that they do. And then the wife sits there next to them, basically absolving them of their shit. Everyone stops listening to what the man says. And they look at the wife. And then they have all this commentary on, like, how the wife just looks sad and pitiful and her body language. We talked about it with Kwame Kilpatrick and his wife. We talked about it with Bill Clinton and Hillary. Was it Weiner? Did Weiner's wife spit with him? Huda? What's her name? I think she did one of the times. He had a couple scandals. But it's so many men who've had scandals. It's so many wives that sit up there next to them. John Gray, his wife. She got on stage, took the mic and was talking about strange women coming for her husband. Speaking to the 16-year-old boy inside him. She was his rib, resting in brokenness. Ma'am, you making shit up to defend this man now, really? But I always feel so bad for those wives. I'm just like, ah. I mean, I guess that's a part of marriage. Like, if you're not leaving, then you got to do your wife duty, which is to, you know, be one with your spouse. They take the heat. You take the heat with them. Y'all in this shit together. I mean, that's technically what marriage is. I think that's part of the reason I couldn't do marriage. I can't stand with you when you're stupid. I might not leave you I can't stand with you in your stupid if I'm staying I would have had to support you from the green room I would have handed you a kleenex when you cried in the car but I can't sit on stage with you and maybe that's why I didn't work as a wife because I I can't I can't I'm not built that way I'm just not if I did some dumb shit I would fully expect to stand in my shit on my own but that's also kind of the way that women tend to be raised Women, in my experience, do much better sitting in their shit and taking accountability than men do. Men, in my experience, I'm not saying all men, just in my experience, have a very difficult time being accountable. It's like I said, sorry, what more do you want? Like that sorry doesn't always make it right. I know that's a lyric and I can't remember who sang the song. I think that's Diana Ross, but yeah. I actually said pretty much all of this in a, in a Facebook post on my personal page the day of the interview. So on Monday and, and Mrs. Gillum came into the comments on said Facebook page. So this is, again, the day that the interview aired when everyone was talking about it and sharing their thoughts on it. She came on the page and I won't say what she said and only because I told her I wasn't going to do it. And I was like, look, you've had a really rough day. You need to go to bed. The story that you don't need in addition to everything else is wife of Andrew Gillum is on social media going off on people. And I was like, I'll do you that solid and not screenshot this and post it on my other pages. And I told her to delete it because I was like, there's tons of people who have much bigger platforms than I do who follow my personal page and they they don't have the same ethics that I do. So you should delete this, which she did. But she did tell me, she was like, you know, if you have questions about me and how I move, one, they're none of your business, which I was like, you're right, they're not. And if you don't want people in your business, you probably shouldn't do national, nationally televised interviews. When you insert yourself into the public conversation, you are asking for people to hear you and asking for people to discuss you. I had to learn that the hard way, and now you're going to have to learn it too. There are many aspects of my life that I don't talk about, and one of the reasons I don't talk about them is because I don't want to invite the commentary. So if you want to pop up and say some wild shit, I got every right to curse you out because I did not bring those certain things into the conversation. You went and popped off on your own. When I curse people out, I like to have the moral right to do so. That said, she told me that she keeps it 100 and I could ask her any questions that I wanted, and so I did. And I was like, do you believe that your husband didn't have sex with the male escort? Do you have an open marriage? Are you staying in this marriage? Why did you agree to do this Tamron interview? Because y'all gave an answer and it really didn't make much sense at all. How many times had your husband not come home before that night? She said what she said on the page to ask her anything. And I was like, you know, you can answer in a Facebook response or you're welcome to come on the podcast. I still extend that invite to her. I told her that she was welcome to come on the podcast and I would give her a list of questions in advance because this is not a gotcha situation. But I do have questions. I do have questions that are follow ups to questions that um, that Tamron Hall, who's an excellent interviewer. She did. She did an excellent interview, um, but she showed grace where others may have not. And perhaps that's why they agreed to that interview. But while we're discussing that interview, I want to tell you about our expert. Lauren Anderson Bell is an assistant professor in the public relations department at Temple University. She is a strategic communication and digital media veteran with 20 plus years experience across entertainment, consumer products, and the pharmaceutical industry. Her specialties are public relation, crisis communication, and digital and social marketing. Her professional background includes roles at MTV, VH1, Nickelodeon, Comcast Cable, OK Player, Bristol Myers Squibb, Squibb, time warner cable and the terry williams agency i love terry williams she's a phenomenal human just to name a few so i am very happy to have her on today's podcast oh also because mostly black women listening she's a proud member of delta sigma theta sorority incorporated so ladies and gentlemen boys and girls please welcome Lauren anderson bell to ratchet and respectable Hello? Hey, this is Demetria. How are you?
2: I'm great. How are you?
1: I'm awesome. You have a lovely speaking voice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. I have so many thoughts about this, this interview and, was yeah. and my thoughts are for, you know, someone who's been in the public eye. I haven't had a scandal of like this magnitude. I've been dragged before. Okay. Right. And then also, you know, like I've had publicists and so my publicists give me advice about, you know, how I should yeah. handle things and, and interviews yeah. I should do and not. But All I right. wanted to talk to someone in the business who knows this world, who can give some insight on yeah. who- what this interview was, like what you thought about it, should it have happened. What were your thoughts when you first heard that that the Gillums were going to be on Tamron? Honestly,
2: I missed the news. I missed the news that it was happening. Um, I do hear about Tamron Hall News pretty often because she's a temple alum and that's where I work. So I heard about it kind of as it was happening. And then I thought, oh God, you know this could go a number of different ways. You make a decision to do something like that based on an an interest in rebuilding your reputation and your brand. So my take on it is that this this was what he's trying to do, that this is the first step in kind of, I don't want to say making amends, but sort of announcing without saying it that he hopes to, you know, restore his reputation and perhaps reenter the political arena.
1: And this is a weird question because I feel like it, maybe like 10 years ago, if you'd asked, you know, is there redemption for something like this? The answer would be automatically no. Like now it could be a maybe, maybe. Right, right. Well, here's the thing. Like even if it had been 10 years ago, it depends
2: on who was asking, right? Okay, in a media crisis definitely apologizing to the extent that you can legally and telling the truth as transparently as you can, you know, again, to the extent that it's legally feasible, that's often the most effective strategy for just diffusing the media controversy. If I tell you the dirt, there's nothing to be dug up. If I, you know, if I tell you what happened, if I come clean, there's no dots to connect, there's no gaps to fill in, and then things will evaporate from the news cycle. And a lot of politicians have, or just public figures, have used that approach to kind of, you know, like inoculate themselves a little bit and kind of make their way back. And there's really no shortage of politicians that have been embroiled in sex scandals who were able to return, if not to their old job, at least to public life. You know, I mean, you think about Bill Clinton, for one, right? I mean, obviously it hasn't impacted the current president. But, you know, even lower level offices. We don't we don't even have time to list all the congressmen and governors and state reps who've all had their share of sex scandals. Remember
1: Jim McGreevy, governor of New Jersey, remember that whole thing? Remember him. I remember uh was it Anthony Weiner? Weiner. that's what I was thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing is
2: I I, I think if that's what he wants to do if he does want to make a political comeback, then he has to address it publicly in order to even create the foundation to win back people's support. He's also pretty young. He's got plenty of time to get his face back underneath him. And while he didn't apologize per se, um, I think the conversation they had, he and his wife, RJ, I think the conversation they had, it it looked to me like the beginning of trying to reestablish their reputation on their own terms. Now that there has been like six months of scandal and chatter and rumors you know you've got the you got the florida rumors you've got the political rumors there's just been a lot of talk and they hadn't had the chance to say their piece
1: do you think six months was too soon
2: i don't think it was too soon there isn't really a right time to do it i mean he's not running for anything right now and i also don't know how long the negotiations went back and forth to do that interview it could have been that she approached them immediately if he had let more than a year pass, I think that would have been like this time to hang it up. I think he, I think the clock is ticking on how long he could wait to address it. But I don't think making a comeback is out of the question because, like you were saying, things are different. Although political sex scandals aren't new, things are different just in terms of how we view manhood and how we view uh, sexuality and how we view (laughs) entanglements and how Mm -hmm. you know what goes on in people's houses and what goes on in their bedrooms um and i mean like the general we but i also mean the black people we our community can be very very unforgiving and very conservative about things like this and i think we're also changing a little bit as well
1: i think Black men in general are given a lot of grace when they make mistakes. And I also think Mm -hmm. about, like, people like Chrisette Michelle, who performed at inauguration Mm -hmm. and then her career was, like, obliterated. Mm -hmm. But the black man who also performed with her, I don't even know his name, but he Mm -hmm. didn't take that hit. But, like, Steve Harvey went to the White House and, like, Steve Harvey, you know, he's he's fine again. A bunch of ministers went, they're fine again.
2: Which convention was it? Brian McKnight performed at a Republican convention. It wasn't Trump, but... Yeah. He, he got some backlash. But he, you know... I mean, Chrisette Michelle sounded like she was suicidal. I agree that, that there are definitely situations where black men are giving grace. I mean, like just looking at gender stuff, of course... Of course, right? And and there's excuses made for ego and there's the kind of what well, is hard enough for them already and there's just like a lot of the ways that we're socialized as as black women and as a community to protect men in our community. And that doesn't often get get extended, at least not as frequently or as fully as it should to us. I mean that's that's just objectively true. But he's got I mean, a trailer load of things going on right now. And when you look at people's reactions to the incident itself, not, not so much the interview, because that's a whole other conversation, but the, the actual incident, right? He's found drunk, naked, passed out in a hotel room with a male escort. There's meth. There's liquor. A picture of the scene was leaked. You know, he's laying in his own vomit. Like, it's just a mess. The whole thing is a mess. So people are reacting to all of that. And and although there were, from what I understand, rumors about his sexual orientation for years, we didn't know publicly, at least not like everyone, until yesterday.
1: How do you think his admission that he's bisexual will affect his chances of being reaccepted um, into politics or, or a public a public field, a public occupation?
2: I I think it remains to be seen. You know, I, a number of scandals come to mind for me, um, not in, not with black politicians, but with white politicians who were outed as gay, probably similarly, if not worse, you know, types of scandals. I think it's different for black politicians. I think second chances in general are not extended to black and brown people. Um, I think that we are always kind of auditioning for a role all the time. I mean, I don't mean that, you know, I don't mean that to be overly dramatic, but just the audience of people watching and waiting for you to misstep or miss your line or miss your cue, it just never goes away. And so I think in his situation, I do think there's potential for him to make a comeback, but I think that, there has to be, there would have to be a, the will of his constituents, um, especially his black constituents, to show him that same kind of grace we were ta- just talking about. That's going to be the determining factor. I mean, you and I, I mean, unless he runs for a national office, you know, federal office or something, you and I aren't going to be voting for him. I know it's trifling to always
1: make Marion Barry the go-to. And, hey, you know, I'm a D.C. girl or a Maryland girl, so, like, yeah. I didn't
2: know that. I didn't know that. I think when I first became aware of you, you were in Brooklyn, and I, I don't, I didn't remember whether you were a Brooklyn transplant, so on and so forth. But can we just talk about how Marion Barry was reelected? I think, twice after mm-hmm. his scandal, which was every bit as shocking. And I know it's like, you can't be talking about Marion Barry. I know that. But... <laughs> <laughs> I do know. But, you know, his his camera was every bit as shocking as this one, potentially worse given that, you know, these are federal charges. And his his yeah, you know, talking about, you know, who we give grace to. His major reaction was to blame his ex girlfriend who, you know, granted she was an informant and she convinced him to go to the hotel room. She didn't put the cocaine in his nose with a crack or whatever. It was like, oh, It was
1: crack. You know, just, just, it, it was, was, crack. Crack, it right? was crack. Just crack
2: cocaine. Yeah. She didn't like light his pipe. She didn't make him inhale. I, I'm actually surprised more people didn't um, bring up Mary and Barry when this first happened with Andrew Dillon. But, I mean, you know, yeah, our community kind of whack a and, and and punishes you when
1: you talk about, about Mary and Barry. The thing with Marion Barry, just being from this area, yes, yes. is he was a really good mayor and he got yes. money to black people. He got black yes. people um, in a lot of good government positions. There's always this story about how he like I think gave Bob Johnson the land for BET for a dollar. I don't know if it's true, but it's an urban legend that yeah, exists no, heavily around here. It's
2: discounted if not for an actual
1: dollar. Please. Yeah. So it's like he'd done so much for black people and he because he'd been in office, he'd had the goodwill of the people and I think that maybe that could be a difference between him and Andrew Gillum is like Andrew Gillum has never had it, didn't really have a chance to prove his leadership. I mean he was mayor of Tallahassee, but he didn't get a chance right. to be governor and then screw right. do well, screw up and then people would be like, Well you did so good, we're just gonna bring you back okay. for another time. And and
2: I think that's where people like me come in because in this situation, while you know, I of course understand that people will only see the character flaws, what I do see though is a relatable human being with regular flaws and vices like the rest of us. And although He's young. He's much younger than um, Marion Barry or any of, of the other people who've, like, fallen from grace in this situation and made it back. He does have a strong political record. I'm not even from Florida, and I know, you know, I knew he was mayor of Tallahassee. I knew that he'd been first elected to office at 27. Then um, he wasn't just sort of like a dude. Like, he was a popular mayor. People, people, you know, wanted his accomplishments. So, in Andrew Dillon, we've got this rising political star in the Democratic Party and in the eyes of a lot of people he was on this like rocket ship trajectory and so, you know, just to pivot for a minute I don't know why, I mean I do kind of know why, but I, I don't understand why none of that really came up um, except for that one part in the interview where, you know chairman Hall asked him did he want to, did he think he could be reelected? I forget how she phrased it and he he did say then, you know, that he would hope that people would be able to look past seeing him at his worst, at his most vulnerable, and remember the, the you know, the accomplishments he's made and the good he's done politically. And and that is actually, you know, again, going back to why you do an interview like this, you do have to build the foundation and you do have to give some context and you do have to come clean. But I I, I honestly can't understand how the talking points that ended up in the broadcast I can't understand how most of them were agreed to you know I'm not sure he's working with a dedicated media crisis expert and that's not shade I just you know that's what's required required here not your publicist not your manager not your lawyer not your mom not your wife all those people can have some input but you know if he wants to make a comeback he needs to come at this from a position of you know I'm flawed I'm human. He wasn't charged with anything. He went into rehab. Um, there's also the, you know, this isn't really, I guess if they want to invite us into their lives, well, apparently they did. But, like, you know, there's that really important question of what are we outraged by? And I'm not even asking rhetorically. So he admitted to being an alcoholic. He denied taking any drugs. He talks about entering this really drastic emotional spiral after losing the gubernatorial race, checking into rehab. Um, so there's a lot there just on that alone. There's race, there's sex, there's sex workers, there's drugs. There's the implication of infidelity, although we don't really know that he was naked and there was a sex worker there. So Kind of
1: um, infer, even though he said yeah. otherwise.
2: You mentioned it in your post, like, like the whole thing of how he ended up being there and and you know this was someone who he knew was a friend. I have a lot of friends i've never <laughs> I've never found myself naked passed out in positions like that. And, you know, I don't know I'm being silly, but you know it's scandalous, it's salacious, but in trying to pinpoint what people are actually re- reacting to. It's very elusive because, again, he wasn't charged with anything. But people are still clutching their pearls. So there's his marriage. You know, people are like, oh, he did his wife dirty. He got caught out there, you know, in this condition. But and, and people reacted to what initially looked like a gay tryst, right, where he was not only cheating on his wife, but cheating with a male sex worker. People did react to the drugs. There was a lot of speculation about how he came to be passed out. And you know he maintains that while he's an alcoholic or in recovery for alcoholism, he didn't have anything to do with the drugs on the scene. But I think also, and this will be another significant hurdle for him in terms of returning to the political arena. It's his idea that if he been if he was so irresponsible that he got himself in this scandal, perhaps he's not fit for office. And I think people are right to ask if this situation maybe shows that he has poor judgment. And they ask if that's the type of political representative they want. And now given the interview, people are now really scandalized because we have now found out that he's bisexual and that he and his wife have this covenant, you know, this agreement that this is okay for them. And will not prevent them from being a married couple or from raising their three children. And you know, you've got that whole people reacting to that kind of from a okay, stand by your man at any cost perspective or the always oh, couldn't be me perspective. And with the exception of his judgment,
1: none of this has to do with his political record. None of it. I'm gonna tell you what I thought about the interview, but I wanna know what you thought about mm-hmm. it first.
2: I thought that it was I don't see any evidence that he's working with like a dedicated media crisis expert. I I see a lot of heartfelt talking points, a lot of, you know, I'm human. I I saw a very interesting human interest story. I did not see what I would have coached someone to say or do as as a, you know, crisis communication moment. And I also felt that he lost control of his talking points with the whole explanation of, you know, this, this person was a friend and, you know, these are the things that you do when you meet up with a friend. And that was, that was, um, kind of off the rails. I think it was all over the place, but I also understand that it was edited. I don't think that, I know that what we saw isn't the raw footage start to end, but what we did see was disjointed. One of the ways that you, you know, kind of keep your arms around that and keeping, keeping control of your message is that you you have talking points and you don't have to be a jerk about it, but you 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 know, you kind of exist in a couple of different discussion areas that they would have certainly touched on before. Tamron Hall is a professional journalist. She's not gonna come at you with a lot of gotcha. You know, she did have some facial expressions and some body language that maybe you know added a little bit of flavor to what she was saying versus what she was you know doing kind of like a wink but i i felt like it was disjointed and i'm not willing to believe that that was only because of editing
1: if this was your client what would you have encouraged them to do differently
2: and i think he did some of it just not enough of it i think he kind of opened up and talked about his flaws and the place he was you know emotionally for this to have happened if his desire is to return to, you know, elected official life, I would have had him talk about things, up, you know, from his political career, however short it is, and how this makes him, if not more relatable, at least more human, you know, in the eyes of constituents who've been dealing with some of the same things, and that he embraces his bisexuality his um the, the, the range of sexual orientations of his constituents sanctity of you know the, the, the marriage um however you and your partner define it i just i think talking too too much about the relationship was a bad move and focusing on what he brings to the political arena what he's doing to regain trust what he's done to show that he's fit for public service those are the areas that you focus on i'm surprised that he didn't talk more about that and that's why i keep coming back to well who's coaching this brother you know i don't have an issue with the fact that his wife was in the interview with him at least and that she had um, i think she had a couple of moments by herself it wasn't just him by himself no she was by herself as well yeah, I think that was okay. I think it's good to have your partner by your side in moments like that. A lot of times when I help people with crisis communication, you know, let's just say I'm working with a CEO, their spouse will appear, in the, you know, just not out of nowhere, but if like this, this person, this person's spouse has nothing to do with the running of the company, but, you know, they're, they're at their most vulnerable, at their most frightened, and that's who you want by your side, and in this case, you know, he did betray his spouse like big time so I think it's appropriate that she was there
1: I feel so weird about the spouses being there though I mean because it it is like you say (laughs) like the spouse the spouse is there and the spouse serves a function but I'm always just like what is really going through that woman's head because the women always always look like a deer in the headlights
2: right 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 Again, who's coaching them? Like who? Who told them about body language and what to wear? And I mean, you don't want it to be totally rehearsed either, because that—that's very—that's very see-through. But um, I don't think there was a way to do it without his wife RJ being present.
1: So there was another part of the interview, his first part, where he was talking about his bisexuality, and they noted that RJ wasn't sitting there because there were things that he wanted to say and talk about that he wasn't comfortable Mm -hmm. saying with RJ sitting Mm -hmm. next to him. And I was like, if you're not comfortable saying it in the same room with your wife, why are you telling us?
2: Why are you telling millions of people? Yeah,
1: I personally thought he should have waited a little longer, but that's just me from the outside mm-hmm. looking in. I will defer to mm-hmm. you as the crisis specialist here. But I just kind of thought that this whole thing happened at the the beginning of COVID. And so it didn't get the media coverage that it usually would have. And then people had really not been thinking about it. I mean, it's a global right. pandemic and a racial reckoning and hurricanes oh and wildfires oh so for them to pop back up, especially as, like, the season opener of of Tamron, of Tamron Tamron's show, why did you agree to do this when no one was right. thinking about it or talking about right.
2: it? Right. It's like the epitome of, like, nobody, absolutely nobody, you know, Andrew Bill, I'm not saying, actually, you know, it, it did seem to come out of nowhere. But that's the piece that's a little bit of a mystery to me as well. I don't, again, I don't know how long they negotiated this. I don't know whether he has an announcement that he's going to be making soon. I don't. I can't imagine that he'd that he's running for an office that we wouldn't have heard about. Like you know, some sort of I don't know, like alderman. I don't know. But my my point is like I don't think that he's about to announce a run for anything. So the timing is curious. I probably would have waited until
1: after the general election, mm-hmm. um, but I wouldn't have pushed it past the end of this year put it in 2020 like that with a crazy year we're moving on to something else
2: so you know to be honest with you because um you don't want to be a distraction to the party i can only assume that he's not just looking to uh not have this as the footnote for his life i i have to assume that he's interested in some sort of political future because otherwise you really have no reason to give an interview right like just be quiet and move on and live your life and you know, I don't know, go open uh, a McDonald's franchise or something and just, you know, lay low. So the fact that he's doing this so publicly says to me that he is hopeful um, that he can, and you know, sort of be redeemed in the eyes of the public. So, okay, there is that. But why right now? And it could be that, um, you know, those are the terms with the network that you know she saw it as the strongest interview for her season premiere and that was that
1: you know so i watched the interview i couldn't figure out why he was there i couldn't figure out why now i thought the story Mm -hmm. had a million holes in it like if you're gonna tell it then you're you gotta tell it all but you're clearly not telling it all and we can tell that you're not so if you're trying to come across genuine and authentic i it's not working the thing like you have to be you have to communicate convincingly and that that's
2: another thing and you know again you don't want to sound like you're reading off of a script but i don't care if you're just talking about a ribbon cutting at a bank you rehearse your message the idea that he was sort of like stumbling through some of the answers made me feel like he was unprepared not unprepared in the sense that you know, again, she—I don't think there were any gotcha questions. I think he also volunteered a lot of information that wasn't necessary. Mm-hmm. I think mean, he just hadn't thought through what he wanted to say and what he wanted to do. And what I understand, they turned down lots of interviews. All kinds of media outlets wanted to talk to them. Of course, talk to him, and she was the only one that they considered. And I'm telling you from experience, when things like that happen, there are conversations. How is this going to go? Who can be present? Who's like right off camera? Like when I got into crisis communication, I didn't know that that's what it was. I was working at a PR agency, and it just it just happened. It was just very exciting, and I I, I had no idea that that's what we were doing. But many years later, I saw the president of that agency. Just off camera, there was like, um, like, I'm going to say it was like a Barbara Walters or Diane Sawyer interview. I can't even remember who it was with. But I know she was there because they did it live and I could see her just off camera. So who was there? Who was, you know, there to to give him some hand signals like, wrap it up, buddy. Or no, 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 we're not going to go in that direction.
1: Or to even stop the interview if things got too hot. What if someone started crying? What if, I just, it just felt like they were winging it. And I will say this, even though I didn't think the interview was was totally authentic, I didn't think that they told the full story. I would still if I was a a resident of Florida, I would probably vote for him given like if he if he can prove to me that he's got like you know like a year 18 months of sobriety whatever's happening with him and his wife that's your personal I mean, business. That's their business but that's i also it. feel like you can't do any worse for florida than the current governor are you killing people or you're not killing anyone oh God. Okay. Let, let's see what you can do because what we're doing is not working what we're doing is not working and all and you know of course you don't want to be elected because the other choice is just so
2: horrific But at the same time, you know, he's proven that he can do a good job. And that, you know, that I mentioned already should have been a talking point. But, you know, to your point a minute ago, most of the stuff that we're reacting to is really none of anyone's business. And so you can't just act like it didn't happen because it was exposed so publicly. But you're allowed to say, and he did say that to a certain extent, but really emphasize this, this is between me and my wife. This is between me and my family. And he can also credibly say, you know, there's never been anything like this before. I I have heard some rumors, but not rumors about scandals, just rumors that he had, um, that they both had extramarital relationships. And again, that's their decision. So outside of that, just in terms of like his, his political performance and his record and his voting record, there's so much that he can focus on. If he runs for something again, this will continue to
1: come up. It will. And I'm fine with that. I mean, there are, are nude pictures of, of the first lady, the current first lady grabbing her hoo ha. Okay. Like I, I all think maybe the bar is very low right now. You know, maybe that's the lens that I'm seeing this through. But I'm very much like, Sir, remain sober. If you're gonna have extramarital affairs, can we can we keep them to a minimum and out of the public eye? And can you just lead? Florida needs a leader. Florida is wild. Florida needs a leader. Yeah. I mean, you know, I acknowledge that um, we as black
2: people should never look to other communities for validity or examples of how to behave. But again, there's no shortage of prominent white male politicians who have been embroiled in just as bad or worse. And many of them just sort of kept a low profile for a little bit and then were allowed to, you know, shake it off. No pun intended and get back to life as a public figure. I think that at a minimum, Andrew Gillum deserves that chance. He mentioned um, that he believes people should get second chances. And I do think that in the big scheme of mistakes he could make, I just I don't think that the outrage people are feeling or or expressing um, matches what happened. You know, it's gossip worthy. But that's
1: about it to me. I wish him and his his wife the best. I didn't I didn't particularly care for the interview. It was interesting. It was good TV. But I hope that they they keep a, a lower profile and just focus on on doing the work. I think that that's speak. the
2: best thing for
1: him. I
2: mean, you know, like you said, you've had a publicist before, and the thing about PR, it's like not to make it overly lofty, but like I always make a comparison to the medical profession. We all have a primary care doctor. And we also get sent to specialists when we need specialty care i don't want my primary care doctor to do any brain surgery any cardiac anything right or any orthopedic I, I will go to a doctor who's trained in that and so even if he has um you know political handlers or people in his ear about his image he needs somebody who's who is specifically you know like astute in helping to to manage your way through something like this and he needs that person at least on hand for the next time he runs, if that's his choice, I think he can do it. I, th- I mean, I think he, when I say he can do it, I think he can put it behind him. Yeah, you know, I have no skin in the game here. It's just my opinion, but I, I don't think it's impossible to imagine a world where this is just sort of like a footnote and not the top footnote.
1: I mean, one of the things that my grandmother, uh, May she rest in peace, used to say all the time is just keep living. Like mm-hmm. you just you never know where the story's going to go. Mm-hmm. There's so many places that, that I have been that I never thought I would be where I am. There is grace for those that right. seek it.
2: What your grandmother said is absolutely right, but he's he's also a visible person who has to be careful as a visible person just by default. And, and this isn't about being a role model or anything like that. You're a target for public scandal, whether you invite controversy or not. There's no off switch, and if you fail to acknowledge your visibility you really become your own worst enemies. One one thing I often tell my younger clients, especially when I've worked with, like, um, recording artists and pro athletes, people who go from, like, toiling to get put on, as we say, to suddenly being there. Like, yesterday you weren't famous and today you are. Because it does happen just like that sometimes. And what I say is, like, you're not who you were, so you can't be yourself anymore. And I don't mean that to be cryptic, but, like, Yesterday you could do certain things and today you cannot. You simply cannot. If you have a friend you hang out with who maybe keeps weed in their growth compartment, then you can't ride in that person's car anymore. It doesn't mean that you can't be friends, but maybe you drive. So you have to be much more aware of the situations that you could get caught up in. You know, that last point I was making about his judgment and, and all of that people want to make it about character. And I think the only thing that's like, uh, I'm sorry. My dog is barking. I'm sorry about that. The only thing that could really stick is that his judgment is just flawed. and, And that might be something that his opponents would really focus on.
1: But I think if you put, like, a couple years between the incident mm-hmm. and him running again, you can say that, you know, like, that was many years ago and many therapy sessions and mm-hmm. I, I'm a different person then with God's grace. He should. I yeah.
2: That, that's exactly the way to come at it. All right. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, thank you for your insight. Yeah, I really awesome. appreciate it because I was yeah. like, I mean, I have thoughts, but I was like, let me call the <laughs> professionals. It's my pleasure.
2: It's an interesting situation. And If you ever, you know, have thoughts about other situations, give me a shout. I'd yeah. be glad to talk to you.
1: Thank, thank you very much. You're welcome. Have a good one. I'm going to take her up on that offer to come back. Now we have an official person that we can call on when we are confused about how people are handling their public crises. So that is our podcast for the week. As always, thank you for tuning in. Greatly appreciated. If you need some ratchet and respectable in your life between now and the next episode, you can follow me on social media at Demetria L. Lucas. That's on all platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I don't know how many copies of Don't Waste Your Pretty are still left. I might bring it back at another time, but I'm done for now. I appreciate everyone who purchased a book, but I need a break from signing, y'all. I need my life back. Also... I'm trying to get copies of my first book, A Bell in Brooklyn. I didn't self-publish that one. That was on Simon & Schuster. So I've got to jump through some hoops to get copies of that book. And I'm trying to work on the audio of it as well. That might be a little easier than getting physical copies of the book. I will let you know about that. But yeah, I think that's everything. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of Ratchet & Respectable, please subscribe on whatever platform that you're listening to this podcast on. We'll talk again next week. Okay, bye.